Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hey For Podcast. I am, as always, your host, I. Coleman, and with me this week is uh, a newcomer to the podcast, I believe. I don't think you've been on it before. No, I haven't. You certainly haven't been on it when I'm here. Uh, this is Nathaniel Terencio, uh, who you may know if you are on our YouTube channel because he does a lot of work there. He and I are the ones who are kind of trying to bring the YouTube channel, uh, you know, like really make that be uh, really like put a lot of content out on that and make it be a major part of the Haypor player brand. Um, and he is also on Haypor Adventurers, which is the D and D show that I talk about here all the time because I want people to watch it because it's very good and very exciting. How are you doing, Nathaniel? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. And yourself? I am doing all right. I am staying strong. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm staying strong because here's the thing. I've spent the better part of the last hour looking for gaming news. Yeah. And nearly every site they're not they're not putting it out. There's not a lot going on right now. It's, Most sites are just doing their like it's time for game of the year, everybody. It's it's a very slow news day. I, I won't deny that. <laughs> it is a slow news day, it's a slow news week. Now we are recording on Sunday again, and the show goes up on Wednesday, which means that just like every week, you know some big's gonna happen on Tuesday. You know Hideo Kojima's <laughs> gonna like eat a dog on Tuesday, and then when this comes out on Wednesday, they're gonna be like, Why did they talk about the dog eating thing? Um but in the meantime, we say strong. I am not going to do the game of the year thing. Not until the end of the year. That's when we'll do the year in review, and not before, oh, yeah. and not in December, and not. I saw people doing it the last week in November. The year in review. Yeah, Last Guardian yeah, hadn't even not, come out uh, yet. Which apparently, it's not game of the year worthy anyway. But a I mean, big problem. But but I mean, there's other things. There's other things besides game of the year. It could be like I don't know. Most disappointing game of the year. I don't know. We'll see. I haven't played it personally. I can't make a comment on that. <laughs> it needs to be like the CAC Awards. They need to have a more death award <laughs> for welcome. regular video games. Like one person got that joke. And thank you. Um, if you're if you're new to the show, like Nathaniel, he has no idea what's going on. That's not true. Uh, if you're new to the show, uh, this is the Hey Poor Podcast. It is the official audio companion to HeyPoorPlayer.com. Uh, it is the only show about video games on the internet. Um, it's not just about video games. It's about pop culture. We'll probably talk movies, TV, all of those exciting things. Uh, at the beginning of the show, we're going to talk about all the games that we have played this week. And then we're going to have a slight uh, break in the middle where we will answer audience questions. Uh, and then at the end, we will talk about the news. Now... Again, there haven't been a lot of games to play, and there hasn't been a lot of news, so this might be a shorter episode, but fortunately, the fans have really helped us out here, because we got five questions this week, Nathaniel. Nice, nice, very nice. So, this may end up being something of a mailbag special, but the one thing you can be certain of is that it is going to be a good time for everyone involved. So, let's get into it. Nathaniel, what have you been playing this week? I I mean, I know one thing you've been playing this week, because... (laughs) You reviewed Final Fantasy fifteen for Hey Poor Player. Yeah, yeah, and um, actually, it, it it it's no surprise that I've that that I've been playing that this week because, I mean, I did the review on that and it's on the site and, um, while do, while playing that for do, for the review, I actually avoided a lot of the side content and mm-hmm. I, I'm just going back and redoing all that and it's there's a lot of content in that game. I know like a lot of people were like. Is there is there like anything besides like the the initial quest they kind of introduced at the start of the game? And there's actually a lot of content besides just like hunting quests and 
all these little side objectives and it's like a lot of it is really cool like i i like how everything like a side objective like i like how it fits mechanically and canonically in that world so like mm-hmm. it was just like a lot of fun to kind of go through all that again and not have the pressure of having to review it and yeah that's what i've been playing most of the time other than that like just uh playing fallout 4 and when i mean playing fallout 4 uh modding uh fallout 4 for like eight hours and then playing it for two hours so you know oh really what what, uh what sort of mods are you doing um i'm doing like as in terms of mods i'm not one of the uh like i'm not a big modder and what i mean by that is like i don't do a lot of like game changing things i usually just do like quality of life changes like like texture up texture upgrades and Mm -hmm. um little ai changes to like just the npcs because because bethesda ai ain't the best when it comes to the npcs no yeah i mean i mean how dare i mean it's 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 funny like one thing because like i i I always i i'm actually pretty critical about fallout 4 i love the game i mean obviously i love the game because i'm playing it now but like i'm really critical of that game and it's like that game came out six years after skyrim and it's just like amazing how little the ai actually changed between that time and it's just like uh but yeah most of my Mm -hmm. uh mods are just quality of life changes because i think that game i i I have this i have this belief that like no matter how much you change a bethesda game it's always just gonna be a bethesda game and like you're just gonna have all that baggage of like (laughs) oh the npcs aren't that smart oh like in in the case of skyrim like oh like no matter how much i swing a sword it'll never feel satisfying and like you know just things like that yeah, I've actually been playing, um, I've talked about before, I'm not a huge Bethesda person, just because, I don't know, I kind of missed the bus, um, and never super got into it, and I've yeah. meant to. Yeah, that's um, So, I, I actually did play some Fallout 4 this weekend for the first time ever, uh, with a friend of mine who has it on Xbox One, and we basically just, like, traded the controller, and we're hanging out and playing it together. Oh, nice. Um, and... Yeah, I definitely agree. It's one of those things where, like, you give it a pass because it's a Bethesda RPG, but, like... Some, like, man, I'd heard the writing was bad, but I thought it was, like, normal video game writing bad. The writing in Fallout 4 is pretty bad. Oh, yeah, and, like, that's the thing. It's, like, okay, of all the, like, the Bethesda games... Okay, this is weird, because, like, Fallout did start out as a Bethesda game, but, like, Fallout in particular had the better writing of these Bethesda games because it had the baggage of Fallout. And right. for, like, I... Like, again, you, you said you played, uh... You're play- you've played for recently, so, like, yeah. I-, I haven't had time. I had time to, like, kind of ingest it, and I'm, like, playing it again, and I'm like, okay, you know what? It's I can pa- I can deal with this, but, like, it's probably, like, pretty, like, cringy, like, playing yeah, it for it's... the first time. It's not it's not good, and, like, I like Fallout 4 for its setting and its themes, and, like, this one's really uh, cartoony, if I had to, like, pick a word. <laughs> yeah, and it's... Yeah, I think... I almost think it would have been better if it had been more cartoony, if they had kind of leaned into it. Like, uh, so many of the things that they try to take seriously just don't feel very serious. Like, of course Sean is the bad guy. Of course. Like, I I hadn't heard that before, but um, this friend I was playing with, she had played the game before, and I was like... And there was just some conversation about Sean, I turned around and I was like, so Sean's the bad guy, right? Like... <laughs> First time, like, the second time I'd heard his name. Um, and just, like, 
So if you ever played Fallout 4, it takes place in a uh, place called Diamond City, and it's called that because it, like, used to be a baseball diamond, I guess. It's like an old baseball stadium. Um, And so a lot of people there are obsessed with baseball. And it is so, so obvious that this is a game written by video game people who did not do any research into sports or how sports people talk. There's one part where you have to retrieve a baseball that has been signed by all the coaches. All of them. (laughs) <laughs> ever just ever. all the coaches signed it just all of them it's it's completely ridiculous and yeah uh, yeah uh, it, it's fun that, yeah oh yeah it's it's fun like i'm obviously still playing it i think that game is more enjoyable with i don't want to say it's more enjoyable with mods but it definitely like my experience is a little better just playing it like as a game right, is right. much better but um yeah i i kind of agree with you on like one thing you mentioned is that like the game would have been better if it was if it wasn't so straight faced because like the thing is like that that cartoony dialogue isn't intentional but it kind of feels like it should be intentional because i don't know it's just like it would have been a nice like like oxymoron to like the entire like setting of the world which is like this post like this nuclear like post apocalyptic wasteland and it's like it wants to be serious but when it tries to be serious it's like awful it's like it doesn't there's like no like weight to anything anyone's saying no matter how like awful it is it's like these robots are kidnapping people and i'm like you know i know this is supposed to be serious and everyone's scared but like you just said robots are kidnapping people i mean like you know just yeah and by the way we have had some ham-fisted uh you know dealings with racism in the in in this year oh um, yeah from deus exes you know all lives matter to Mafia 3. Not saying that these games are overtly racist, but that they don't deal with racism in a very smart way. Yeah, Fallout 4 might still take the cake. It does not seem to have any idea what it is trying to say about the synths, which are like the robot people. Yeah, and see, that's my... Yeah, and like, I actually, like, I was playing through um, the the mission where you were uh, trying to find the railroad, like, just like the first, the intro quest, and there's um there's a line after the intro quest where you have to like and it, it's the first real quest of that um faction where it's there you have to retrieve the prototype or something and it's weird because like Deacon even has this thing where it's like he says oh yeah not even everyone in our like like no racism underground railroad reference literally the railroad yeah. like he's like not not even all of us agree on how sins should be like like treated like and we mean by like first generation and second generation because the third generation ones they're like cognitive and they look like people so they're kind of like people but then the first and the second ones are like actual robots there's no difference between them and a toaster and it's like that's interesting that's really cool except they never bring it up ever again yeah And, and like that's my problem is like they have these moments where it's like okay they're probably getting into smart writing but then it gets into like Oh no! It, it, we're really just gonna save robots, and like we're not gonna get any deeper than that. But okay, like that's right. Cool. It, it it it's, I again, it almost feels like it might have been better if it were less nuanced. Like it seems like at times they're trying to show both sides of it. The moment you mentioned being one of the moments where that's actually good, but a lot of the time it just feels like again, like the narrative can't decide whether or not racism is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, um, and the thing is, like, you're picking like the factions you like. Like, this is my little problem with Fallout, the fact that you can't opt out of anything the minute someone talks to you, like, uh yeah, God, that's awful. But, um, like, the thing is, like, it has, like, the ra- like the railroad, like, they even have that. And, like, they make, they build up the railroad to be such good people. And, like, 
like you brought up was like whenever they talk like video games are notorious for talking about racism and just like doing it like at a weird face value kind of thing without any of the nuance or like actual smart things when people talk about racism and like the funny thing about like fallout 4 is that like you can pick the factions that are all about like more or less racism and the game doesn't really like and they try to give it like believable stances they're like oh you know what maybe there's like maybe the brotherhood's right but it's like nah they're kind of like totalitarian in every way the institute is literally like a plantation for like sins so i mean like it's just uh god it's just so messy because they try to like make it like there's like these are like likable factions but at the same time they're not likable and the only objectively good one in the game is the railroad because everyone hates you for siding with the other factions and it's like yeah punishing you for trying to have depth and trying to be like okay maybe the people who do robot slavery are like the good guys but then like the game will no punish they're you. not <laughs> yeah yeah and then the game will punish you and it's like why give me that choice when like you're me- when you mechanically are gonna like punish me and like that's my problem like like mechanically and canonically nothing like coincides with each other it's kind of like mixed you know yeah you're absolutely right when you say that it's messy uh i think you absolutely nailed it there like it's not necessarily a bad thing that everyone hates you unless you're with you know the anti-slavery people like yeah that's not a bad message but it's not backed up by the writing um and what i said you know, what I meant by when I was like, it would almost be better if it wasn't as serious. Just going back to the uh, Diamond City thing, there's a couple moments where that's actually played for comedy. Where the joke is that, you know, we're in the far future and nobody understands what baseball is. Yeah, and so they yeah. think it was like basically a blood sport. And that's actually funny and that actually works. But a lot of the time it's just comes across as like the writers don't know. And there's some moments where like I wasn't sure like is this a joke or... Yeah. Are they just writing badly again? Like, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's fair. I think, yeah, like my, I have gripes with the writing because, like, the thing with as good as Bethesda is at lore building and making a world that's like interactive and believable enough that it is a world. You know, like, I mean, I mean, they're like the forefront of like, hey, I can pick a fork off the table and like just wave it around for no reason. I can go read a book and it's an actual book, but like. They're not good, particularly with dialogue, and I've noticed that with, like... The dialogue's kind of gone down since Fallout New Vegas, and I know they didn't do that one, but... Okay, so Fallout 3, pretty much. that They yeah. did that one, and... I don't know, because Skyrim had a lot of those problems, too, and, like, Fallout 4 is just bad. I think Fallout 4 is actually worse than Skyrim, if not just because the char- like the dialogue system they use for your character is really bad. Like, I don't like it at all. Yeah. Like, like I don't know, I don't know I, how I you feel somebody... about it, but that you know that you know how like you have four answers to everything, and one of them's always sarcastic. Yeah. That's one awful. of them's always sarcastic. One of them's always sarcastic, and the worst part about that is the sarcastic answer is often not sarcastic. Yeah, it's always some it's always some kind of witty banter, but that's not sarcasm. Like yeah. sarcasm <laughs> is specifically you're saying one thing while meaning the other thing. You can't just be like every joke is sarcasm. And that's the thing. It's like that is something that I would expect someone who writes professionally to know. Yeah, yeah. I just it is the thing was like the thing with the sarcasm like answer the sarc the fact that other than the fact that sarcasm is an adjective and it doesn't explain anything like it's just. Like, I don't know, like, it just feels like, like, the sarcastic, like, answer is always really inappropriate given the context of anything that's going on. It's like, mm-hmm. when you meet the robot, it's like, who are you? Like, you better tell us or we're gonna kill you, and then you give a sarcastic answer, and it's like, 
oh, I'm just hanging around. It's like, okay, one, that's not sarcastic, and two, it's like really inappropriate given like what's going on in the current moment right now. It's weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I, I get, like, it's funny thing though, like, I think Todd Howard in a interview, like, in the, like, it was in the past few months, but he literally said, like, something about how they wanted the character voice, and this is, like, this, the reason this is the first, um, Bethesda game where they had, like, the character being voice acted is because they wanted it to be a more, and a lot of the reasons Fallout 4's design decisions are the way they are is because they wanted it to be a more personal story or something like that, like, uh, like, Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, like, Fallout 4, we wanted, like, you to, like, actually feel for this character and, like, want you to, like, they want you to, like, push the story forward and they want you to find his son and, like, basically giving him a voice was, like, a way to make it more urgent and give him personality. And I think it did the opposite. I agree. I 100% agree. I care much more in not just Bethesda games, but, like, really any game where you have freedom, you end up caring much more about the ridiculous things you do than about the story that is being imposed on you. Yeah, yeah. Especially in, like... I mean, it, it especially applies to, like, Bethesda games, because these... I mean, the whole point of these games is, the, like, hey, the minute you step out of that first dungeon, you can do whatever you want. It's a slow-burning open-world game that encourages you to do whatever you want. And I kind of hate that Fallout 4 did take that route because it does it actually kind of takes away that like per like it i don't know it feels like you're not as it's not i know you're supposed to self-insert in this and it's like no it's not self-inserting and even like the role-playing aspect is very limited by like the dialogue because like at least with a silent character there's a lot of like role-playing or self-inserting you can do because like they don't they right. don't have a voice but you but you're always gonna be this uh, so one thing i was talking about like so your whole motivation throughout the game is finding your son sean who turns out to be the villain and i'm not going to tag this as a spoiler as i normally would with such a thing because if you've read any story and then you play fallout 4 you're probably gonna pick it up also the game's been out for like a year now so you know yeah it's been out for a year and it's probably gonna like it's probably the only bethesda game we're gonna get for the next 10 years so i mean like enjoy like (laughs) enjoy it yeah um so like uh, but the thing is, your only experience with Sean is you see him as a baby for a very short amount of time. And yeah, then the yeah. entire game, the entire rest of the game, your character, their only motivation um, is to find Sean. That's all you care about. And, like, I as a player didn't care. Like, this, I don't know, it, it sounds a little heartless, but, like, it's not enough to just have a child character, especially one with no personality because they're a baby, for me to care about that person, you know? Yeah. And so I didn't want to find, like, I, you know, finding Sean, like, I get it, but, like, that wasn't the only thing I cared about. That wasn't even the biggest thing I cared about. And since that's all the protagonist ever talks about, by the end of it, I didn't even want to find Sean. <laughs> You know? Yeah. It's like, I'm it, so tired of hearing about Sean. Listen, you can make a new kid. Yeah, and it's actually... This is actually a good This is actually a good way to talk about one of my problems with uh, Final Fantasy 15 and open world games in general. Like, but specifically, like, Fallout 4 and Final Fantasy 15, because I can't think off the top of my head, like, other um, open world games like this. But, um, man, like... Like, other than the fact, like, like what were you saying, like, there is no motivation to find Sean other than the fact that, like, it's the character's motivation, and that completely takes away, like, you self-inserting or role-playing a character that you created or something. And, right. Like, 
I hated, I absolutely hated, and, oh, wait, Skyrim had this problem too, but anyway, I absolutely hated the fake urgency, like, they really build up, like, I need to find Sean now, but you know what, I'm gonna daisy chain through a bunch of, like, side quests for the next, like, five days before I actually start finding Sean, and it kind of breaks the flow when you're bringing up your dead, like, your dead wife and your missing son, like, all the time, and it's like, you know, it should be, you know, it's, like, really important that I should find him, but you know what, I'm here, like, like, picking up a baseball bat, or, like, getting paints, or, like, killing synths, and it's, like, I, because there's a smart way to do, like, to make an open world game and still have, like, a story progression that is, like, sort of ramping up in, like, urgency, and Fallout 4, and Final Fantasy 15, like, by the end of Chapter 3, which isn't that far into the game, like, they, they kind of fail at that, in my opinion, yeah. and, like, I mean, like again, I get it. This like it, you know. This like game. Games are hard, all right. Games are hard to make. Okay, I get it. Okay, but at the same time, it is like a design flaw because, like, Morrowind did it really well. Like they handled like their weird save the world plot in a way that, like, canonically and mechanically fits the whole like. Oh, you should probably go exploring before you do anything. And The Witcher Three did that really well too. So, I mean. It's, mm-hmm. I like yeah, it. I, yeah, I like that. I mean, again, like, I know games are hard to make and all that, but, like, it's, at the same time, it's still, like, it is a mis- mismatch, and, like, I feel like Fallout 4 is, like, a mismatch in a lot of places. Right, yeah. I th- I think about, like, Saint- Saints Row 4 is probably my favorite open world game, uh, but one thing about that is your, your character is voiced. They do have a character to some extent, but your character's motivation is they really want to, like, break things and have fun which you relate to as a person far more than you relate to fallout 4's protagonist even though fallout 4 is like ostensibly the better story like it tries to actually yeah. have an emotional core to it i felt way more connected to my boss in saints row 4 because they he like he was doing the same things yeah. i wanted to do yeah. right he cared about the same things i cared about and like they built it really well into the story where the whole point is like your job is to break as many things as possible, so it makes sense for you to go off on side quests where yeah. you break things. Like, yeah, and... and and that's why I was saying like Fallout Four maybe needed to just lean into the not necessarily silliness because yeah. you know you want it, you want it to be that sort of grim post apocalyptic game, but like taking itself not as seriously and taking its writing way yeah, less seriously. I think we say that as people who played the game because like obviously because like. Like, because the writing's straight up not good, and I know Fallout, (coughs) excuse me, I know Fallout has been a series that's been known for its dark humor and its, like, story, but, like, but Fallout 3 was good. Like, that's the thing. That's the difference between, like, Fallout 4 and 3 and New Vegas is that New Vegas' themes and how it handled its weird, like, like, ideas of philosophy and government and, like, some parts religion was, like, handled very maturely both mechanically and, like, canonically. And, like, Fallout 3's story in general mm-hmm. was just very good. Like, even the whole, like... Because it has actually the reverse plot where it's, like, Fallout 3's, like, I gotta find my dad. <laughs> it's, like... And... Mm-hmm. But, like, the thing is, they built, like, the first opening scenes were, like, you're, like they show you your, with your relationship with your father where it's, like, oh, you start out as a baby. And then you, like have a birthday exactly you get to care about your dad because you see him and he does things other than here's you know a baby model like that's all like it could like as far as you know that's a doll right for like all yeah like press a to play with sean (laughs) like that's pretty much all i that's that's the only thing i have (laughs) 
press X to Jason. Yeah, it's heavy it's, rain all over. Yeah, and like that's the thing. We, I mean, like, because the thing is, if we can, like, if Fallout Four's writing was better, we can, like, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. But like, the fact is that it's not particularly good because, in combination of like the fact that it is cartoony when it's trying to be serious, and also that awful dialogue system. So, like, I mean. It, again, I'm very critical of that game. I like that game. I I was very critical when it came out too. Like everyone was like, "This is amazing." And I'm like, "It's good. It's great. It's it's borderline great sometimes, you know." But like, it's it. I don't know. It's like it's a good game, but it has its faults. And the biggest faults are the storytelling. Because like even like the like the obvious problems with like the gameplay itself aren't really that bad they're not deal breaking by any means it's Mm -hmm. and since they did make story like a very big focal point more so than any other bethesda game it really shows like that they don't have that grasp of storytelling quite yet especially with what else they were trying to do like what else they were trying to manage like the open world and the combat which i mean kudos to fallout 4 for making a, a decent bethesda game with a decent combat system but you know so yeah, it's hard it's hard to do story right in an open world game because in an open world game the player's just gonna wanna mess around and do silly yeah. things. You know, when I think of my favorite moments with open world games, oh, I never yeah. ever think of the story. I think of like, hey, let's go to the tallest building and jump off of it or excuse me, or th- or things of that nature. It's much easier to do that in like an adventure game or like a telltale style game where, you know, you're putting this yeah. story box essentially and like yeah. all you do is the story like it it, it it kind of felt like fallout 4 thought it was the walking dead like with how much time it devotes to its story like oh man this is going to be really emotional yeah. you're really going to care about it but you didn't you wanted to be going off and like romancing oh, piper yeah, or yeah. something and, and i think another thing you mentioned the uh, fallout 3 dad i think another thing about that and this is mostly an excuse for me to like uh veer off into something yeah, i, I want to talk about um <laughs> but like i think another thing about that might be the fact that your dad in fallout 3 now correct me if i'm wrong was yeah, voiced yeah, by liam was. neeson which who you know is yeah. a really good actor and who and so you you kind of have that from the get-go. You're like, oh, it's Liam Neeson. That's really cool. This is a cool character. Um, whereas the voice acting in Fallout 4 is also not yeah, very good. Like, um, yeah. Uh, and I, again, what I specifically want to complain about here, as someone who has done voice acting and as someone who has, like, Irish family, many of whom still have the accent, <laughs> Kate is the worst. Uh... <laughs> There's a character named Kate... And nothing has ever sounded more like what it was than this American actress trying to do a bad Irish accent. Like, it, it it's... It... Faith and Begora! Hello, it's me, your Irish friend, Caitlin. Oh my god. I was just enjoying these frosted lucky charms and watching oh. The Quiet Man. No, but, th- like... That's fair though. That's a really fair. Like that's that's honestly one hundred percent what she is. That's why I never played with Kate. Honestly, other than the fact that she hated, other than the, the fact worst. that she hated, like every time I tried to avoid a fight, she'd just be like, "Man, can't you fight for once?" I'm like, "Nah, no, it's okay." Can't you fight for once, Nathaniel? <laughs> but yeah, like, no, the voice acting's pretty darn bad across the board, and that's the that's the horrible thing. It's like, cause like. Like, there are, like, okay, not your character, but, like, 
like Piper and Nick like coming to like are the first to come to my mind like have really good voice acting and really good performances you know and what really upset but then everyone else like is yeah, pretty darn I bad agree. like Piper... every other NPC like not including your like companions you know right I agree I really really like Piper that's who we decided to romance um but like uh, the thing about Piper is though her voice actress there's the part where you unlock her tragic backstory and she talks about like her dad getting killed um yeah and like the voice actress is giving this honestly pretty incredible performance like there's real emotion behind it and then the animations and i think this is what you were talking about like wanting to fix like the animation for the face is just so bad Maybe it's because oh, we were on yeah. the Xbox One and not the PC, but she's just, like, standing there, her lips barely synced to the words, and it, like, completely oh, no, no, killed no, the it, emotion of it. It's not... Uh, don't don't even, don't worry, man. You weren't missing much if you are playing PC. <laughs> it's still jank. It's still Bethesda. I mean, it's the Skyrim engine. I mean, that, that like, that's the thing. Like, that engine was not designed for, like, realistic or emotional character-like right. animations. But for God's sake, no, the animations no, right. in Doom looked better than this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I know that's, like, an unfair comparison, but, like, I mean, like, it's still, like... no, the, it's, it's not it's an bad. unfair comparison, because the animations in your game about <laughs> shooting monsters, where nobody cares if they look good or okay. not, should not that be better than your story-driven, you know, Todd Howard's yeah. magnum opus. Yeah, and, like, honestly, like... I, and honestly, the more I think about it, I'm like, you know, like, this is, like, another thing with Fallout 4 is that it came out the same year, like, I'm thinking about it, like, as Dragon Age and mm-hmm. The Witcher, and, like, I'm just, you know, like, honestly, like, I think the reason why I was so critical of Fallout 4 is because, like, there's no excuse anymore. Exactly. For lot, like, that jank animation, like, I played The Witcher 3, and that was gorgeous on every level, you know? Yeah. And it still is, like, an open world with just as much depth as, like... Fallout 4. Yeah, I can't pick a fork off the table, but, like, I mean, like, I, I, I don't have to pick a fork off the table yeah. all the time. It's Once not, you've done it. Not, but... I, I, I yeah. definitely think that's a big part of it. Like, you know, if Fallout 4 had come out s- several years ago, people would have liked it. Because I would argue that Fallout 3, while maybe a little better, is, you know, is similarly, like, sort of janky and messy and not always Oh, yeah, perfect. definitely. I mean, But at this point, yeah. it's like, Okay, Bethesda, we've... I mean, we've seen this. We all own this game. Fallout 3, uh, the week Fallout 4 came out, you could get Fallout 3 for three bucks, and it was kind of like, why... I mean, obviously, I didn't play it till now, because it was kind of like, why would I get this? What's the appeal? The graphics are a little nicer, but not much! Yeah, and... Jeez, I think, like... Fallout 4 is a really interesting game, and we've been talking about it for a while, but, like, it's such an interesting game because, like, it's not only the game itself that's interesting, but it, like, it says so much, like, about Bethesda, about, like, the game industry in general. Like, I mean, like, I know that's a stretch, but, like... No, I I, I, so. I was I remember talking to a friend about this, and he was just like, like, Fallout 4 is amazing because it's a triple a game that came out with so many bugs and glitches that would literally kill any other studio besides bethesda yeah and like and also the fact that it's literally a game like because like it's been a near a decade since fallout 3 came out and like how little that game has changed from fallout 3 like it's like yeah they use the skyrim engine but like like comparing like say skyrim to oblivion that made substantial improvements whereas fallout 3 to 4 like 
the only like gameplay improvement I see that's like actually like that actually feels any different other than like oh like oh higher depth of field higher like everything like technically is like the actual gunplay yeah shooting otherwise it now. is yeah it's much better it's not it doesn't feel as weird and clunky and like like the guns actually have like a feel of weight to them when you actually shoot and it's pretty good but like on a technical standpoint yeah it's like it's a sequel but it didn't improve that much like other than like yeah the technical stuff do you think so they were like, do you think they were stealing from like the doom team they're like oh god we gotta prove something uh like doom guys give us your <laughs> give us your guns give us your combat give us the guns <laughs> honestly like honestly i think a lot of it even has to just do with the fact that the gun sounds sound so much better yes. like that affects like gunplay a lot like a lot of people go like like the gun feel feels bad it's like I don't feel like yeah, animation has to do with that, but I also think it's like I think most importantly it is sound. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mean, I play CS:GO and they like changed the sound of the guns a while ago, and it feels really awkward yeah. now. Like it, it affect it affects gunplay a lot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like Fallout Four is a really interesting game. Like I mean, just like the fact, like it's just an anomaly in itself. The fact that the game sold like ten million units or some stuff, and it's like not objectively like a like polished game right particularly and the fact that it's not that much different from a game that's like 10 years old like and it really and i don't even want to say it's like oh it's because it's bethesda because like i mean yeah no i, I don't think that's you know. yeah but it's it's just like fascinating it, like, I, I agree because like it's not we've just spent a good like 20 to 30 minutes like crapping on it and i still would be hesitant to call it a bad game and I don't even. Yeah, like, I, I'm not even yeah. quite sure what it is about it. I think you're definitely right there. I I do think though that I yeah. with it Bethesda kind of used up their credit. You know, like the next Elder Scrolls game is gonna have to be substantially better because I don't know that they can do yeah. Fallout Four twice. I think by the second time yeah. people will be like, okay, for real now, this yeah. is just nothing. I mean, our Lord and Savior Todd Howard did say that um, we're not getting a. They haven't even started on Elder Scrolls just because, like, it's the it's like the game Noel thing where it's like, oh, like, you know, technology hasn't ca- caught up to our vision, so literally we're never getting Elder Scrolls. I think we're never gonna get it. Like, you think they might move on to doing like I know they're like uh, I know they've they've talked a lot about like Wolfenstein: The New Order two, and they're doing that. Quake hero shooter, which okay, guys, I guess. Like you think maybe they're gonna go into different things and not just be the big open world RPG company anymore. Uh, um, my thing with Bethesda is that like the thing with okay, because like their philosophy and it's like their philosophy on games is like really weird because like they pretty much only dedicate they dedicate their whole entire like team. They do the Rockstar thing where like they dedicate their whole team to one game, right? at a time and but see unlike rockstar they actually produce a game every so <laughs> hey every often years like like i mean i know it took them forever to do gta 5 but i mean gta 5 though and then like but between like gta 4 and 5 we had red dead redemption and like other games so like mm-hmm. i mean yeah like i don't know if we're, we're gonna get another game from bethesda like and i don't even know if like we'll get another ip or like a new ip just because like they take their sweet time, and I don't know like how much that will cost them to like that that will cost them to not release like an Elder Scrolls game or not announce like a Fallout or Elder Scrolls something. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, would Bra- would brand name like recognition like if you just go like oh Bethesda, they could probably push a new IP or something. But like the resources, like would they even want to do that? Right, right. You know? 
especially with that delay in innovation, like what can they actually produce that would be like, like something worthy, like something noteworthy of making at this time, you know? Mm -hmm. Speaking of name brand recognition, I would like to steer you back to the reason I asked you to be on the show, which is the, uh, your final fantasy 15 review. Um, Oh yeah. Uh, uh, obviously you're still playing it, which seems like a good sign, but, uh, I'd like to know a little more in detail. what do you think of final fantasy 15? Okay. Um, See the okay. My thing with Final Fantasy fifteen is that like, okay, just disclaimer: I am not a fan of the series, and by that I mean I played like of the main series games. I think I played like like a twelve out of the fifteen games in that library of and in that franchise. But I am not a fan. I just played the games. (laughs) You just played them. I don't know why. Yeah, it's I played them because like they're interesting, and I like. I I don't but I I don't like the whole series as a whole because like some of them aren't good like I like eight wasn't good like I played that recently mm-hmm. and I'm like yeah this game is bad it's and but off topic but fifteen is a like so I had no like hype going into the game I thought I was actually kind of like oh this game's like has a ten year development it's like right. what can it actually be so I kept my standard so I kept like go when I went into it I was pretty neutral like I tried to like I wanted to be objective as possible mm-hmm. and I found myself really really enjoying the game like and i was just actually shocked that square enix produced a polished product <laughs> no you're absolutely right with like how long it took them to develop and like the story behind it the fact that it's not it wasn't even supposed to be in a main series game but a 13 spinoff and like the fact that they straight up lifted like 10 years worth of like game design and mechanics from other games and it actually worked within final fantasy and they and like that's i think the main thing is polish like because that game has elements where it 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 doesn't work especially towards the late game like especially the late game in terms of story but man like the product as a whole and the package as a whole feels so solid and like Mm -hmm. i think the thing is is that like that game even though it feels like a game that has lifted stuff from like The Witcher and Batman and uh like like Dragon and Mass Effect and stuff like it feels really good to play like it feels fresh and i think it's because of like the final fantasy quirks that come with that and like it's just really like and that's and also like that level of square enix attention to detail like the fact like that the fries are just like 60 frames <laughs> per second 1080p like yeah. Highly detailed, whatever, and it's just like really cool. Like I, I like so. The Frenchie. Like, you can't fry. tell from my gushing. I really like the game. It has its problems. Like it has like obvious problems, especially in the late game, and especially with the story, which is, which I guess makes sense for a Final Fantasy game, but it also doesn't make sense because that's like the thing everyone will remember about this game. Mm-hmm. What? Because uh, it is a Final Fantasy game. Tell me about the but, story, Nathaniel. Yeah. I haven't read anything. I haven't read your review. Well. We're entering a, a rich fiction fantasy land. Uh, tell me about okay. the story of the game and what you didn't like about it. All right. Okay. So, like, the essential premise is that the main character you play is Noctis, and he's a prince of this sort of region. And, like, essentially the region is this... Uh, it's, it's weird because, like, the way the politics of the world works is, like, it pretty much functions like a feudal era kind of, like world where there's kings and there's monarchy still but everyone but like it's a but it's a modern world so that everyone has a cell phone and everyone takes selfies and stuff but like 
it, it still has that prospect of kings and right, empires right. and stuff. And so essentially you play a prince and his the premise is essentially like you and your three bodyguards who are also your best friends because because you know your bros who who better to protect you than your bros am i right right, right. i mean like but uh it is like, absolutely much... it is absolutely the like the bro squad like <laughs> yeah yeah and like essentially like the pre- the premise is like you're sent on a diplomatic mission to mar- to get married to someone because this is still a weird world where like hey you should marry your kids off to like some other kingdom's kids so they can like mm-hmm. have like a peace like they can have peace between these two kingdoms and essentially like that's the premise and then what happens is like you're sent out in your sweet ride and then your sweet ride breaks in the middle of the desert and then you have to fix it and then like the game follows that for the first two chapters where it's pretty much like yo bros we gotta get to this kingdom so i can get married slash laid we need to fix the car though don't worry guys i gotta we we, we got this we gotta do a side quest mm-hmm. to fix the car all right and then like it's pretty much that's the premise, and I don't want to sp- explain too much of the story because, like, I don't want any- to spoil anything, and I don't know what Final Fantasy Fifteen uh, Spring Break Road Trip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like that's that's the thing is like that sounds so ridiculous, but that was that was it was so charming just because of the execution. So like the thing with the story is that like the first couple of chapters, essentially, like what happens is like as you get your car fixed and do all these things, like. You, like the story progresses and essentially what happens is there's this evil empire because it's Final Fantasy and they take over Noctis's kingdom mm-hmm. and so Noctis it becomes like a weird sex drive road trip s thing to becoming save the kingdom like Final Fantasy mm-hmm. but the first couple of chap- chapters it takes its time building into that and it and, and it makes sense of like why you just don't fight the empire immediately right. because you're literally just four dudes in a car <laughs> right right and yeah and like the first couple of chapters of the game are so good, like, and just, like, I just want to stay on track with the story, but, like, because, like, the way the first four chapters work is, like, it's a slow-burning kind of thing where it's just, like, you build up these characters, mm-hmm. not through, like, set pieces or anything, but you pretty much build up these characters by, like, talking, because there's mechanics in the game where, like, oh, you do side quests, oh, you drive in a car, oh, you go camping, and they all mechanically fit into the game because they all benefit you in a way, like... Like, you can only level up if you rest in a hotel or if you go camping and you you get benefits for doing it. Yeah. And, like, all of that makes sense mechanically. But, like, the thing, like, that it does for this for the story is that it builds up these characters and, like, you get to like these characters in a way. Like, not because, oh, their story's so sad and tragic. It's more that, like, hey, we're hanging around a campfire and playing on our phones because that's what friends do. Yeah. And, like, you're driving a car and then they just have casual conversations and, like... Even during side quests, like, there's so much conversation just between the main four characters, which, by the way, is, like, the only party you'll ever have throughout the whole game for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't switch it up, like, that much, and you mostly stay with these four characters. And, like, that, and I think that benefits the game because, like, you get really attached to these guys. And they play off each other's, like, personalities because they are kind of tropey. Like, there's, I'm serious glasses guy. I'm big, buff, beefy guy with a a soft spot Mm -hmm. and a heart of gold. And then I'm... I'm the quirky one who takes pictures all the time and you know like yeah. it's it's cool like it's cute and that's how the first couple chapters goes it's like there's this overarching like we need to save the kingdom kind of thing but at the same time it's like it's still a road trip because like to progress the story you are driving around you are going from point A to point B but dirt, but it's the little moments from point A to B like that in between like with all the small moments of camping and killing monsters and yeah. like palling with your bros like that stuff is awesome and that's like really 
that's to me is more memorable than a lot of the set pieces because I haven't even talked about like set pieces right, or any of the right. bosses. It's just like I and like because that's like a lot of the like the first half of the game, and that's why I really love the first half of the game. Yeah, that, and, that's definitely been my impression of it. Is that it yeah. seems like it's taking itself a lot less seriously than previous Final Fantasy games, which is something that the series pretty desperately needed, in my opinion. Like. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's like still a sense of urgency, especially, but like it's really well paced in the early game, at least, and like it's, and that's the thing with Final Fantasy. I think like like you bringing up that Final Fantasy needed is that Final Fantasy has no small moments, and when they're there, they're really inappropriate. Yeah, like I think seven <laughs> is a really good example. That <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, like, when they have to try to have small moments, it doesn't feel organic or natural. Because, like, Square Enix was only good at, like, really big cutscenes, like, set pieces. Right, and those right. work. But, like, and the fact that they did it, not through cutscenes, but, like, gameplay and just, like, playing the game is also, like, amazing for Square Enix. Because, like, they, they, they usually only, like, in Final Fantasy games, like, the only way you get, like, characters' personalities and, like, anything that progresses the, like, plot forward or any kind of character development is just through, like cutscenes and like they actually don't have that much in this game like there's no like like cgi there's not a lot of cgi cutscenes right. like at all and like yeah so like that's the first half of the game the first half of the game is really good it's a slow burning kind of mm-hmm. like hang out with your bros and save the kingdom at the same time but you know and i think it's a fault of the fact that the story gets more intense and the urgency like intensifies because the later half of the game is not like that at all it is one set piece to another of linear levels like i know i was praising the open world like in my review i praised the open world and it's there still at later parts of the game but it's significantly less open right and the more final it's weird because the first half of the game feels like it was done by a different team than the second half Mm -hmm. like it really does the more fun at least in pacing the more final fantasy it gets the less you enjoyed it yeah yeah i think that's a good way to put it and like that's the thing is like I like the set pieces. It was just, I think for me, it's not that I en- didn't enjoy the really linear, like the linearity of the second mm-hmm. half. It's more of the fact that it's very jarring, yeah, compared to the first half. I think that's what it is because like, pre- basically like chapter nine or ten. You f- like this isn't a spoiler because like you're gonna like you have to fight monsters. You have to fight these big giant set piece monsters that are basically the same monsters in every Final Fantasy game. Oh, and they're probably so, covered but, um, with lots of spikes and over detailing. Yeah, over detailing and spikes. One of them has a really spikes. big sword. One of them's Bahamut at one point because <laughs> <laughs> he's in every game. Of uh, but like, like that boss battle, like I like the first one. You really, really fight. Mm-hmm. It was like Leviathan and like. I mean, there's another boss fight before that, but it, that, like, that didn't feel that bad. It didn't feel like jarring. Like yeah. Leviathan, you, be- but Leviathan, like that boss fight, I was like, man, this game's gonna completely ch- pull a 180, isn't it? Like, and I was right because after that boss fight, it did get very linear and get very, and it got really weird. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of the slow burning open world activities that I used to do, gone. And like, I think the problem is, is not, it's not just the fact that like. It was one set piece to another, and the story ramped up, and the urgency ramped up, so of course there's not as much open world. It's the fact that, like, it felt rushed. Right. Like, it's one thing to have a lot of set pieces, as long as it feels like the the flow is going, like, rather well. Like, you, you give me a time to rest. Like, after, like, chapter 10, the story ramps up and got so fast. Like, compared to the first 10 chapters, like, chapters 10 through 15... 
There's 15 chapters, by the way. <laughs> I wonder why. But uh, but chapters 10 through 15 like took much less time. That's why, like, if you look at my um the time it took me to play the game to finish the game for the review, it was actually 30 hours. Yeah. And 25 of that uh, was in was was chapter one through 11. Hmm. And like the the last four chapters literally only took me three hours, and I got two extra hours because I wanted to do some side objectives before I did my review. But like, yeah, so it, it's a, it's a dramatic increase in pace. And I think that's my big problem with the story It's just like, other than like, it was very jarring from the first half to the second half. The pacing got destroyed. The sec, like the second half, it was just like so fast. It was like fast and the furious level, like levels of like pacing and just like random crap coming at you all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think honestly that might have been like that would have killed the story for me for the most part if the ending and the and the actual like little moments of the last five chapters weren't so good. Yeah, the ending of the game is pheno- is okay. It's not phenomenal. I think I'm overstating. I think I'm gushing too much, <laughs> but I think it's really good, and I think it's one of the best, if not the best, of the uh, uh, Final Fantasy ending. So there we go. So, I think I can say that. So when the game finally comes to PC, eventually, in a million years... Oh, it, it, there's rumors <laughs> of that. Like, And I have no doubt. I, I, no, I no, no, no. They've, they've, they've announced it's coming to PC. They haven't announced a date. It'll probably be like a year away. So a year from now, when it comes to PC, would you recommend that I get it? Yes, I would definitely recommend it, actually. All right. Uh, it's one of the better open-world games. Like, I, I definitely say, like, it's kind of like... I don't know. I don't know how to put it, but, like... It it works like it it's a game that shouldn't work because of like what it's stealing from and who it's who it's made by, but it works really well. Like I know we just talked about the story, and you can read the full review on the Hip Hop yeah, Player so site. As, but, as always, uh, plug 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 HipHopPlayer dot com Final Fantasy yeah. review plug 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 read it with ads off. But um, but yeah, like I mean, it's like I know we only talked about the story because there's a lot to talk about in the game, and I get more in depth in the review. But like the combat's really good, like. The combat and the open world stuff and the side quests, they're all very good and very polished. Like, that's the one thing I was scared about was the combat because I played that dumb platinum demo thing that was released for PS4 like a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this, and when I played that, I was like, this game's gonna suck. <laughs> God, this combat's so bad. And then, but when you play it in like a not pre made tutorial kind of setting where it actually functions the way it's supposed to function in an open world, it's really good. Like, really good. All right. But yeah, definitely recommend it. It's actually, I get uh spoiler. I gave it a four and a half out of five. It's on the not not really a spoiler for the game. <laughs> yeah, it's not a spoiler for the game. It's a spoiler for those who didn't read the review. Four and a half. I out guess of five, so. If you've been waiting for the exciting really ending, yeah, the season. Finale. I know the extend, the yeah the uh, <laughs> chapter fifteen of my uh, Final Fantasy uh, fifteen review. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, now normally this is where I talk about what I've been playing this week, but. The truth is, I didn't really play any video games this week. Fallout 4 uh. was mostly it, and that was literally yesterday because, you know, sometimes life hits you like a freight train, and especially when you are a university student and finals happen, that is especially the case. But oh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what I have been playing. Um, what I was playing yesterday when I wasn't hanging out and playing Fallout 4. Uh, so yesterday was a very important day, very important national holiday. Uh, especially for anyone who's listened to me on the podcast before. You probably know what I'm going to say, which is that yesterday was the 23rd anniversary of Doom, which is a game that I talk about way too much on this show and everything I've ever done. 
You only brought it up ten times in this uh, in this podcast, <laughs> this so it's okay. I think you're so doing good. Far. I think you're getting better. <laughs> <laughs> so far, yeah, there, there. We're gonna get to the exactly, part where it triples. Exactly. Um, well, <laughs> that's because I've been saving it for now. So uh, I played. Uh, I- I've been playing some of the Doom mods, which is something I talked about a little bit last week. I've been playing a bunch of different Doom mods. So like, I played Brutal Doom '64, which actually got nominated for one of the Game Awards. Did not win. Uh, oh. I mostly liked it. Um, Mostly. <laughs> well, the thing is, so it, it's a mix of... It's a guy made Brutal Doom, which is a mod that made Doom more fast-paced and more violent and more bloody and more over-the-top and more ridiculous, uh, uh-huh. trying to recreate that with uh, Doom 64, which is the Doom game that was more subdued, more survival horror, uh, more, you know, low-key... <laughs> Um, so uh-huh. the fact that it works at all is honestly kind of impressive. And it works very well. Um, but right. there are some moments that are a little... Uh, there, there's some times where it doesn't work quite as well. Um, one of the main things is the ending. Uh, it, instead of the original ending of the game, it's replaced with this ridiculous cutscene where the Doom guy in the really not great animations, because Sergeant Mark IV does not do original animations very well, uh, shoots the final boss demon in the head, and then a whole bunch of demons run into the room, uh, and then he cocks his shotgun and, uh, like, glares at them, and they all go running away, and it's, like, really, really cheesy. And it's like, Uh this is the game where a couple levels ago, the only background music was just the screams of the damned in hell. Like, it's very jarring. Um, But it mostly works. And it's probably the best version of Doom 64 you can get on the PC. So if you have any interest Uh in playing it, I can recommend that. Um, Some other interesting wads. Uh, You may have actually heard of this because it picked up a little bit of press outside, like, just Doom modding community. Have you heard about Run For It? Uh, yes, I have. Well, for those listeners who haven't, Run For It is a Doom mod which gives all of the inanimate objects legs, and then they run around. Uh, so obviously this includes, like, ammo pickups and weapon pickups and things, which now you have to chase down to catch, but also things like when you shoot a rocket or a projectile of any kind, it will gain legs and run around, and it might not hit what you're actually trying to hit. Um, that sounds amazing <laughs> setting details like lamps and explosive barrels and things will run around and they just run around randomly and this is one of the things that i love about the doom modding community is that it's i'd say it's about 50 50 people who are making these really gorgeous maps there's a, a mod that came out this year a, a full-on wad like a game that you know, a completely new Doom game, essentially, uh, 32 maps, called Ancient Aliens, uh, that was, like, really, really beautiful and had really, really intelligent game design and was, like, uh, really cool like that. And then the other 50% are, like, shit posters, essentially. Like, like a couple years ago when we had the Doom selfie stick mod in the game. Um, and, and I just really love that it's a community that has both parts in it. Nah, I think that... That balance is really good. I mean, like, okay, like, I am not a modding kind of person, which is weird, because, like, I played, like, like, early PC, like, gaming, like, my early PC gaming history has been, like, games where I Mm -hmm. did mod, or I got the mod, like, where it was modded to, like, to hell or something, but I'm not a modder. Yeah. But, like, I do think that, like, that balance is really good. I think, I don't know, I don't know, because, like, it's, to me, it's more amazing that, like, 
like Doom has had a community for so long. Yeah, where it's for still sure. modding consistently, and it's like, and it's a pretty close knit community, and the amount of mods are still like. Yeah, they're, it's they're, they're coming out consistently. I think that's the thing. It's not like these weird surges of like, oh, like they're announcing like the new like this Doom re-release because they do it like every like two yeah. years. But like, I mean, like, it's really cool that like it's been consistent. Like they've been consistently making stuff, and yeah. the fact that they're still passionate in that. Oh yeah, I really enjoyed that. Like it's still going strong. Like basically, it's like you're getting fresh Doom content every year. And heck, if anything, this year was stronger than ever because a lot of people got into it with the new Doom game, they were like, oh, you know, I want to go back and see what the old Doom game has to offer, especially because the new Doom's uh, modding tools are pretty bad. They've patched them, so they're a lot better now, but, like, uh, I highly recommend, um, so if you are interested in Doom modding, just, like, not necessarily getting into it, but just, like, there's a really funny video. So there's this this uh, Doom modder, I, I'm afraid I don't remember the name of the person, made a uh, game called made a mod rather that's called a hundred thousand revenants and as the name suggests um it has a hundred thousand revenants marfi black is the name of the guy who made it um and so the mod is basically just there's a hundred thousand revenants which are kind of like a, a notorious monster in the doom community for being really frustrating in large numbers and you have to kill all of them um and but there's a really funny video he did where he tried to recreate a hundred thousand revenants in Doom Four using the snap map modding tools Bethesda gave, and um, it ends up being twelve revenants. And it's really funny because it just shows the step by step. Like, oh, okay, so you can only have so many revenants in one. You can only have so many monsters in the map, and it's like, okay, instead of a hundred thousand, it'll be forty thousand. And that's like, oh, it, you can only have so many in a room at a time. And he's like, okay, so instead of one big room, it'll have to be like fifty-two rooms. And then he's like, oh, I oh, ran out of space. Okay, it'll have to be twelve thousand revenants. Oh, you can literally only have sixty-four monsters in the entire map. Okay, it'll be sixty-four. Oh, only twelve of them spawn at a time. Okay, so it's twelve revenants in one room with twenty-one empty rooms. <laughs> And, oh god yeah and that's that's one of the biggest disappointments of the new doom which i i've definitely gushed about a lot on here but like this the whole way they treated the modding community like modding it's really jarring considering it's bethesda and like they're known for that like we I mean like they have well bethesda produced it they didn't create it so but it's even more jarring though because like i mean right. like because like the like isn't like I mean, I mean, I, okay. Who who created like the company that created Dude? It's software. There we go. Yeah, it's software. Yeah. Had, had to think of the name. It's it's software. Like, like that was the thing with it for the longest dumb time. Is that like they were all about the modding community because right. I mean, a big part because they they gave away like the the software that was used to create the original Doom with like with Doom and like yeah. it's really weird that they like they denied that to like or they made a shitty or at least making a shitty like engine to make mods it's really weird yeah like uh the i mean a big part of that was the influence of uh john carmack who believed very very strongly in what he called the hacker ethic right which was basically like all code should be open source always and so the yeah. you can get like you can find you can see the source code for doom 1 doom 2 and doom 3 and they kept saying they were gonna do it like before the game came out like when they had that e3 demo a year or two ago they were like oh yeah and we're gonna have snap map which will be like the simple, easy modding uh, tools for if you're someone like me, I Coleman, who like doesn't want to get deep into that programming. Like, you know, here, here's the simple, basic modding tools. But we're also gonna release a full modding suite, and everyone's like, "Yeah, that sounds cool." And 
And then as it got closer and closer to release, they're like, yeah, we're going to have Snap Map. And people were like, and the full modding tools too, right? And they were like, oh, we're going to have Snap Map. But yeah, we'll probably release that later. It's like, what do you mean probably? And then like, now it's just... <laughs> It's just Snap Map. And so it, it's sad that the new Doom game, despite the fact that, you know, people really enjoy it, is not going to get... Again, they, they've made it a lot better, to their credit. Yeah. But I think it's it might be too little too late. Everybody's like, well, I could use the modding tools that have, like, existed for 23 years and have been refined to the point of, like, near perfection. And then on the other hand, I could try to make Snap Map work. Like, I think they're missing out on... You know, people, like, enjoying yeah. and playing their game. And there was actually some... I was going to save this for the news section, but, you know, we'll go ahead and do it now. Um, one of the oldest Doom... Not really a mod, because it didn't, like, run on the Doom engine. It was actually a standalone fan game, and it was called uh, Doom oh. RL, or Doom Roguelike. Um, and it's been... Gosh, I don't even remember when it released, but it's been out for a really really long time and it's a roguelike as in like a proper roguelike not just roguelike elements it was like the game rogue a turn-based procedurally generated rpg with doom monsters and stuff um and this week uh zenimax who it, you know it's like bethesda and zenimax and id they're basically one company um like shut it down sent them a cease and desist because you can't use the name doom uh, oh, wow. And they changed, and so um, they managed to get around it by first of all, uh, the guy who made it released all the source code for it. Um, so like, if it gets taken down, like you can make it, you can play it. But uh, he also changed it to just DRL and never uses the word Doom anywhere. He just calls it like asterisk 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 asterisk, um, which seems to have like stopped uh, Zenimax from caring about it, but like. I feel like that's gonna offer a that's gonna be a really really bad precedent to set because modding is one of the things that is like really really crucial to the Doom community. More even like uh, you know every game there's gonna be usually at least a small mind community for it. Like somebody's gonna make a nude mod. Any game with a female character that releases on PC, some gross guys gonna make a nude mod. But like modding is something that is not just part of Doom. I would argue it's something that's like essential it's a big part of the reason people still care about the game 23 years to the day later no and i agree with that because like i think the most valuable thing other that modding does is add longevity to these games like there's a reason people still like play morrowind Mm -hmm. because there's still mods for morrowind coming out and the reason people still play oblivion like i like and it's and it's also like to say that like i don't know it's it doesn't surprise me that zenimax actually sent out sent that out and said like hey you should probably st- you should you should stop doing this because you're using doom it doesn't surprise me because this is the same people who wanted to sue mahjong for like using scrolls yeah or something. yeah yeah no, so it doesn't shock no, that me was at all Zenimax, but... i think was it i thought that was uh notches come no no you're right they were the ones who yeah Zenimax sued uh notches company you're absolutely um, right i had it yeah twisted. because scrolls yeah just because <laughs> of using the word scrolls yeah, it's not even like yeah, it's just the word scrolls, and and then like they were just like yeah, uh, yeah, you guys don't own scrolls, fuck that, and like the reasoning was that like, like this is a tangent, but the reasoning was that like oh, it's being so closely released to like the Elder Scrolls that people might get confused, no, and, they or won't. something like that. They won't. It wasn't. Even, yeah, they won't. It's like it wasn't even releasing in like the same place. Like Elder Scrolls, you know, gets released in retail like the 
not scrolls game which nobody even really cared about like honestly all they did was publicize that game which obviously is such yeah. an important game that neither of us can remember what the title of it was yeah but but yeah like modding definitely does add longevity to like these games and like way past like when they were way past when they were released i i i don't know like mm-hmm. i and, like, so I don't think it's a far stretch to say, like, oh, it's essential to Doom. Because it's essential to, like, many games, if anything. Like, right. Warcraft 3 is still played because of mods. like mm-hmm. so. And, like, th- I, I don't believe that it's costing them sales at all. Like, again, for one thing, no. more and more people, like, I got into and have stayed into Doom. And so when a new Doom game came out, I was really excited because I still cared about Doom, you know. Uh, and yeah. uh, like so first of all there's that but also like the most of these mods are being made with the original game and first of all you still have to buy the original game to get them and second of all that's like five bucks <laughs> and it's one of yeah. the like best-selling games ever like it can only be a good thing because it keeps an engaged audience and that's just for a financial standpoint from an artistic standpoint like i would be really really sad if some of like my favorite like if going down or plutonia 2 or ancient aliens or whatever like some of my favorite mods were gone i think that like that would make me really sad as a gamer and someone who really enjoys games because there would be some really good games that would be gone so i really yeah. hope that this was like a one-time thing and that it does not set uh precedent i i feel like this year we've seen a lot of cracking down on mods like we saw project m of course get canceled we saw all the drama with the game awards which we talked about on the show at length and i really hope that this doesn't become a thing yeah i i think it's because i think the problem is like a lot of these companies they don't see it like they don't see it the way we see it and like that's mm-hmm. not to discredit them or whatever. and like they have smart people working at those places they you know like it's not like they're all just greedy or whatever because obviously they don't really gain anything financially from like but like i like to them it's just like and especially like like what you're talking about like project m as a guy who did play project m and oh me too who, like I, again it's uh, like smash competitively yeah. um like nintendo it's just like especially in nintendo's case i don't i don't know if i can speak the same for id and zenimax right. and bethesda but like like they're re- like Nintendo in particular is like really protective of these IPs, and to them it just feels like an attack on that IP, and like that's not what it necessarily is. Because mm-hmm. you still like you still need to play, you still need to buy Brawl for Project M. You still need to like do all these ridiculous. You need a Wii, a Wii, and you need to do all these ridiculous things yeah. that isn't like actually like like in- like intuitive to do at all by no. any means. So like I mean, it's more hassle than anything, and like it doesn't. If anything, it'll just make people want to play Brawl more because honestly, Brawl doesn't have a competitive scene other no. than like Project M. Yeah, or Brawl Mods, as it now has to be called. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, all right, we've uh, we've gone a little long in this first section. That's perfectly all right because I don't anticipate the news taking very long. But my friend, I do yeah, think it is time news? to go to commercial break.
The Hey Poor Podcast is the official podcast of HeyPoorPlayer.com, your one-stop shop for video game and pop culture news, reviews, and editorials. If you like what you've heard here and you don't want to wait till next Wednesday to hear more, that's the place where you can read all of our writing and the full reviews of some of the games we've talked about on the show. You can also follow us at HeyPoorPlayer on Twitter or Facebook, and you can check out our YouTube channel, which is where Nathaniel and I live, and it's the home of my second opinion series of videos, along with a whole host of Let's Plays, features, and reviews separate from the site proper beyond that nathaniel where can people find you on the internet um you can find me predominantly on twitter and my twitter handle is blazer hoodie all one word and if you, i also have my own personal youtube channel that you can go and watch it's just nathaniel Terencio, my name so subscribe to that if you want to see uh stuff that's not um exclusive to the hate Bar player channel so yeah. I followed Nathaniel right now just because he said that, and you should too. His pin post says some garbage is okay, and it's great. Um, you can find me at Last Space Marine on Twitter. You can also find me at medium.com slash at Y-E-E-T-Z-C-H-A-K. Um, I also want to plug, as I've been doing for the past few weeks, Hey Poor Adventurers, the show which Nathaniel and I do together, along with Hey Poor Podcast regular Bethany Meadows and uh, Jack Hills and David Gunnels, who also work for the site. Um, and it is a Dungeons & Dragons live show that happens every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and of course you can also catch the recordings of that on YouTube. By the time you're hearing this episode, we will have had three proper episodes up. Um, when we last left off at time of recording, uh, things were getting really exciting, really interesting. So, uh, this is the time to get in because the show is about to get really, really good. And I'm really excited for that and where it's going to go. That's Hey Poor Adventurers. Uh, we also have the Hey Poor Player forums, which you can find by clicking the link on our main site. And that's something we're really trying to get started as a way to interact with you guys, the Hey Poor Player community. Unlike reading articles or watching videos with ad block off, the forums don't benefit us directly in a monetary sense, but it's a really great way for you to get in touch with us. So, like, if you want to ask me about my favorite Doom mod, it's probably going down, by the way. Or if you want to ask Nathaniel about his Final Fantasy XV review, uh, the forums are where you can talk to us directly about all of our work, and it's where you can ask questions that will get featured on the podcast. Like, Lavender Frostflower, participant on the Hayport Player Forums, has two questions for us. We'll take them one at a time. The first one is, what is your favorite flower? I don't... Do you have a favorite flower? I've never thought about that. I, I do not have a favorite flower. Uh, rose, I guess. <laughs> there we go. Generic answer. Let's go with that. Um... I mean, not really, no. This is a little bit... Uh, I mean, I can understand why someone whose username is Lavender Frostflower might care about this, but this is definitely outside what we normally talk about. Uh, but I will say, if I had to say a favorite flower, I would probably say the Bougainvillea, um, because uh, when I wrote fiction, which I still do from time to time, but when that was mostly what I did, uh, I wrote a lot of stories that used... Sim uh, the bougainvillea as symbolism because it is a very pretty, very soft, uh, very like easily broken flower that is covered in what's basically like a thorny bush. Um, just like thorns and thorns and thorns. And so that's, you know, it's something that I use for symbolism a lot because like it's useful for a lot of symbolism like that. Um, so I guess the bougainvillea is my favorite flower. Not that I'd necessarily ever want to have one because I am an idiot and I would definitely cut myself on the thorns. Um, her second question, which is definitely more the sort of thing we generally talk about on the show, is what is your favorite Christmas movie? Ooh, 
Okay, my personal favorite Christmas movie is Home Alone 2. Home Alone 2? Interesting. Why not Home Alone 1? Um, okay, I know Home Alone has that problem where it's like the hangover where the second movie and the first movie are literally the same movie. <laughs> but that... Okay, it's the one of the with... many ways in which Home Alone is like the Hangover films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of the ways, right? <laughs> but uh, Home Alone, I think for me, Home Alone Two, uh, other than the fact that it's the one like I have personal attachment with, it's also just the one that I think it's just the setting too. Like I think it being not in the burbs, which I know is more relatable to a lot of people, but like putting it in a city is def like definitely like up the movie like for me, just because like that. Just, like, him going through New York and, like, the setting of New York City was really cool. Um, yeah, favorite Christmas movie? I don't know. Um, I want to say one thing. A lot of people are like, oh, you're Jewish, so your favorite holiday movie is probably, like, Eight Crazy Nights, the Adam Sandler film. No, because it sucks, and it's garbage, it and it's suck. bad, <laughs> and it sucks that that's the only Hanukkah movie we have, because we deserve better. I, I don't know. Why hasn't anybody made a movie about the actual, like, Maccabean revolt that's the story of Hanukkah? I'm getting off track. Um... My favorite. I would, I would dig that though. I would dig that, like, like action, like a cool, like weird historical epic action. Exactly, film like that. exactly. Um, I, I'm gonna say that my favorite Christmas movie. Um, I want to say Die Hard, but I don't know if that really counts. Uh, it's probably Nightmare Before Christmas, honestly, because I like musicals and I like stop motion animation, and Nightmare Before Christmas has really pretty of both of those. I just love how Nightmare Before Christmas can count as a Halloween movie and a Christmas movie. Exactly, and I like Halloween it's much awesome. better than I like Christmas, which is to say, at all. So, yeah, you got a little a dash of Halloween makes the Christmas go down. I guess uh, metaphor kind of got away from me there. Anyway, now Nathaniel, I have tried, mm -hmm. I've tried to do this next advertisement. I have tried to do a bit. Like a, like a funny little lead-in to it for the last three episodes now. I tried to do it with oh, Bethany, and I tried to do it with Jonathan, and I tried to do it with Jay. And it did not work any time. You were the last hope I have for this. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> this ad bit to work. And otherwise, I'm going to have to find something else. So let's try it. Hey, okay, Nathaniel. Okay. Do you like video games? Yeah, I sure do. But do you like paying for video games? I... I, I, I would subjectively no, I don't. Yes, you did it. Well, the well, the good news is you can check out our Games Republic store, which will. Oh God! Now I fucked it up. I didn't do the follow up right. <laughs> Nobody's ever given me the right response before. Oh no. Oh no. Well, you know what? This advertisement might not have worked out, but you know what will work out for you. And that's going to our Games Republic store, which you can find by clicking the store link on heyporplayer.com. There you'll find low prices on all your favorite games. Uh, and all the games come in your choice of format, whether that's a Steam code or a DRM-free download or good old games or whatever you like. Whatever PC game, type of PC game you like, you can get it there, usually for cheaper. And a portion of the proceeds goes to helping starving games journalists, which is to say us. So you get cheaper prices on games you love, and you help us continue to do shows like the Hey Poor Podcast, Hey Poor Adventurers, Second Opinion, all that stuff. So it's a win-win. And that's www.heyporplayer.com, and click on the store link. Uh, we have another question from... Uh, Jovakeen1138, participant on the Hey Poor Player forums, who asks, what is the coolest piece of video game or movie memorabilia that you own? 
Ooh, ooh, that's cool. Okay, let me, let me. I'm looking around my room right now because there's a bunch <laughs> of nerd stuff in here. But uh, do you have an answer for that? Uh, yeah, I have a couple of answers. So, um, I mean. <sighs> Yes, I know I talk about it too much, but yes, I got the collector's edition of Doom 2016, which came with the really, really cool, like, Revenant statue that lights up. It's a really, really nice sculpt. I really, really like having that on my desk. I wish I had the Doom... I wish I had the Doom Guy figure that's, like, the same size and scale and everything to go with it, but it's really, really expensive. Someday I hope to get it from eBay. Um, that's definitely one of the things. I also have a Sam and Max poster that is actually signed by Steve Purcell, who's the guy who made the original comics and worked on all the games and stuff. He's the creator of Sam and Max. Um, so that's really cool. Unfortunately, I got that one when I was like 10 or 11. Um, and so I haven't really kept it in good shape. So like it's completely worthless as an actual collector's item of any sort. Because it's all beat up, and every time I hang it up or take it down, it's like, this could be the time it falls apart. But I really, really like having a signed Sam and Max poster. Like, I love Sam and Max, and so that's really cool for me. Right. Um, as for me, I don't have a lot of things that are, like, like financially valuable. <laughs> but, like, I do have the... One thing that's off the top of my head, because it's right next to me, is I have the Overwatch, uh, that col the collector's edition for PS4, and... <laughs> I gotta say that art, the art book, the art book <laughs> is very is like good. The, yeah, it's the best thing. I know, like it also came with the uh, Soldier seventy six statue, but uh, yeah, not my the favorite statue is just so okay. Doesn't matter. Yeah, they <laughs> picked the most boring Overwatch character, and I've talked before how I don't love Overwatch. I don't love the character designs, but Soldier seventy six, like, no, he's the boring one because he's literally Call of Duty. Yeah, like, he's every first person protagonist. shooter protagonist. Yeah. Yeah, and he even functions like one, which is why like everybody plays him. But yeah, that I have that. That's what I can think of. I also have this. Um, I got this cool figure of Link from Legend of Zelda: Skyward Sword, and I know a lot of fans do not like that game. I I I like that game. I love that game actually. So unpopular opinion, but I love Skyward Sword. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I think that's I think that's it. Oh, I did get a. Uh, Went to, I did go to um, a press event in San Francisco for Idea Factory, which is a uh, they make the they make the, the Neptunia series, which is a JRPG series, and I actually got some free stuff from them that I've mm -hmm. been used. And one of them is these these plushes, these four Sum Sum X plushes of the four main characters from that series. So mm -hmm. that's cool. And I got it for free, and it's usually forty dollars. So there, that's there. very cool. I, yes. I consider that valuable. Yeah. All right, and uh, he. You and Jonathan actually made a video about that, so people should go onto our YouTube channel and check that out as well. Um, Sergeant Polaris, participant on the Hey Poor Player forums, also asked us two questions. Uh, the first is, what are the best games to play with the family watching? Ooh, best games to play with the family watching. Honestly, I want to, like, cop out and say, like, like, I feel like most, if not all, Nintendo games are pretty good to play with your with the mm -hmm. family watching i don't know if they're partis i don't know if like the question is like if they're only going to be watching if you're the only one playing and they're watching you so it's like a weird live action let's play or if it's like they're participating but i always feel like nintendo games are pretty like enjoyable to watch and i'm only saying nintendo games because like i assume your family members are also including old people and right very yeah young people so right yeah certainly nintendo games i think have the most cross-generational appeal a lot of the time yeah because i'm pretty sure your your grandmama knows what a mario is so like mm -hmm. yeah 
Unless you have that cool Skyrim playing grandma, she might not be into Bethesda games. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. You're uh, that grandma who uh, mods Skyrim. <laughs> yeah, but I don't remember her name. Um, but, yeah, uh, this is, you know, I don't know that I have an opinion on this per se, um, but, like, I grew up with, like, both of my parents are big into video games. My brother's big into video games. I'm obviously the most into video games. I won, everybody. I'm the one who has a job about it. Um, but so like, uh, uh, playing games with the family watching and, or watching my family play games, like that was very much something that we did a lot and still do do a lot, like more even than playing the games multiplayer would be like one of us playing and the others, uh, watching and like sort of like playing along. I mean, that's how I, again, that's how I was playing a lot of Fallout 4 this weekend. So like, that's something I really enjoy. I don't know that I have a game specifically that is the best for that. Um, a lot of times like adventure games and story based games work really well because like everyone can play it. Like I would say in general, puzzle based games, because like that's someone that everyone can enjoy equally. Like if you're sitting there playing a first person shooter, like, you know the people who are watching can't really be like oh you need to go left like really quick like faster than i can speak um yeah whereas with a puzzle game you know if if you're stuck on puzzle everybody can be like hmm okay how do we you know how do we approach this and especially with adventure games when they're story based it's almost like you're all playing a movie together something like that so i guess i would say something like that some kind of adventure game um but yeah let's add to my answer i think platformers are pretty good too like i because the thing with platformers is, like, unlike... Okay, because, like, the problem with playing, like, a... Like, say, like, let's just say, like, a Fallout 4 is that there's a lot of slow moments in that game. And then playing, like, something like a shooter is that there's a lot of, like, particular... Like, it's way too fast and pacing. Like, platformers have, a, like, a decently good... Like, you can get a good grasp of what a platformer... Like, what's going on in a platformer, but at the, still, at the same time still, like, get a good amount of, like... What's the word? Like a good amount of action going on. I mm-hmm. I would say like something like yeah, something like Rayman is pretty fucking would be cool to watch. Like yeah, Rayman's cool. I I'll say something that I've had fun recently. Um, I played. A, I got uh for my birthday. I reviewed for the site actually. So uh, read it. I reviewed Inside, uh, which is the newest game by the people who made Limbo. Um, and uh, oh, I, I need to play that. Yeah, it's it's mostly very good. I didn't like it as lot as much as a lot of people did. Again, you can read my whole review. It's it's spoiler free, but um but uh I actually played that with my girlfriend watching me um over the the Steam streaming thing, which I I like that they have that for this purpose. Um and uh because she's very very good at puzzle games and I am not. Um and to be honest, like she played inside and I was just sort of her meat puppet vessel through which she actually solved the problems. Um But like the I had we had a lot of fun with that because it's it's very story based, but it's also very up to interpretation as to what the story is actually about. It's very, very vague. And so it's something that and like there's no spoken dialogue so it's something that inspired like there was a lot of conversation between us about like well what do you think happened like what do you think this means as well as conversation about the puzzles and the platforming as you say um because it's a puzzle platformer so that one definitely i don't know that that's like the best game ever but that is one that was really good for that and was really a lot of fun uh yeah uh and then our last question again from sergeant polaris uh he asks what are your favorite games that you feel kind of bad about liking? Okay, the thing with me is that, like, anything... 
I anything that I legitimately like, I never feel bad about. Right. Because I'm of the sound belief that you can like things that are objectively not good and still have a lot of fun with it. Like I like uh okay i'm trying to give an example of a video game in particular it's more for movies for me because like i was a film studies major before uh before i like more or less uh, left college but um Mm -hmm. like i i I love old kaiju movies i love like that like the showa era specifically like like original gamera and like godzilla destroy all monsters like i love those really campy uh like kaiju movies and they're not good they're not good in any (laughs) way but they are fun as hell to watch and i and that's the thing is like you can like things that aren't good as long and i feel like it's fine because like i admit to like the faults of those but it doesn't make me like it anyway so i don't think i have anything that i like that i feel guilty about i mean like i know i use the word guilty pleasure but like it's not guilty i i I unabashedly like those things yeah um i yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Like, as long as it's legal, ethical, and moral, of course. Like, people can like what they like and like whatever they want. And I don't feel like I have to justify, like... Like, I love Battleborn. And I, you know, I, I get a lot of shit for that. I've gotten shit for that on my own show that you are now listening to. And, like, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I gotta... I, I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel guilty. Um, yeah. Uh... I, I say, I'd, like you, I, I kind of feel this way more about movies, because I like some movies that are, like, bad. Like, I don't know if you're aware of the Disney film Treasure Planet is a big one for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it is a bad movie. Like, it is poorly written. The main character is fundamentally unlikable. But, like, it is also the animation in it is, and the music as well, they are absolutely gorgeous. And, like, I basically love anything yeah. that has pirates in it. It hasn't come up a lot here because there is sadly a dearth of good pirate video games. But so, oh, yeah. like, I love sci-fi and I love pirates, so of course it's about space pirates. And so, like, I yeah. love that movie, even though I'm like, this is a bad, this is a not good film. Um, yeah. And uh, there's several movies that are, are like that with me. Uh, Escape from L.A., unabashedly one of my favorite films. Absolute garbage. Absolute yeah. trash. Yeah. Um, space Jam. Space Jam as well. Like, Space Jam is not a good movie. I know a lot of people who like unabashedly love that movie and like it is like, bad. Die for that movie. It's not good. It's, it's like I love it, but it's, it's not, not good. good. Exactly, I love it, but it's not good. That is exactly how I feel about it. Um, yeah, I would say for video games, um, that's that's harder because like I, don't, I I can't think off the top of my head. That's like um like if there's a video game that was objectively very bad that I'm like oh exactly I like I don't this think a lot because it's very different I, yeah I don't think there's a lot of so bad it's good and I think a big reason for that is probably because video games are a lot longer like I will spend oh, yeah. 90 minutes to two hours on something that it's like this is dumb but I had fun yeah. with it uh whereas you're not gonna spend like 40 hours on that yeah also if the way also because like when movies like progression happens by itself there's nothing i have to do like if it's bad it's bad and i just have to sit for the ride whereas like if a video game is bad and like the only way to progress forward is to like play the game then like that's that that's a slog that's a right very yeah bad like slog. i've heard about people playing aliens colonial marines and having fun because like it's so bad it's good um and I don't understand that because that game was really broken and super, super frustrating to play. Like, I don't know how you have fun. Like, it's fun to watch people play like YouTube. And like, I've slogged through terrible, terrible games on YouTube and the videos have come out funny. But like, 
that's a different deal. It's funny to watch. Yeah. It's not funny to play. Um, yeah. I, the closest thing I can think of, because I really do want to answer this with some video game, the closest thing I can think of would probably be uh, there's a game that you can get on Steam. I got it for like 50 cents in a Steam sale. And it is called Judge Dread, Dread vs. Death. Now, have you heard of this? No, I haven't, actually. Um, so it, right, holy crap, right now it says it's seven ninety nine, but again, in a, in Steam sales, it tends to go super, super cheap. Uh, it is a, it is a yeah. Judge Dredd game that came out in 2005 that looks like it oh. came out in, like, 2002. Um, and it is really, it's a really, really short campaign, really, like, dumb and stupid and very basic uh, like it's definitely objectively not good as a game. Like all of the yeah. shooting is really easy because all of the monsters go down really fast. Um, but it's fun because like they really committed to the like Judge Dread, the fact that it is a Judge Dread game, and so like you have the the gun he has. I forget what it's called. Where you know it has all the different modes, and even though from a gameplay perspective, none of the modes are really different because you're gonna kill anyone with anything. Um, like, it's fun that it has, like, fire mode, incendiary mode, electric mode, whatever mode. Um, yeah. Even modes that are objectively, like, not good, just, like, it's part of the comics, so it's in the game. Um, and also, probably the best thing about that game is that it has a dedicated arrest people button. <laughs> so, rather than, <laughs> oh killing, rather than killing people... Um, now, some people are just so hostile, you have to kill them. But rather than killing people, a lot of times you can arrest them. And you can also just arrest random NPCs. So, like, you can arrest uh, random people and it'll turn out they did something like unlawful ownership of a hamster. Or, like, you arrest a fat person and it's, like, blocking traffic. <laughs> like That's actually a cool feature. I wish that was in games. Me I too. Me too. I, I've often thought, like, I wish someone would make this game, but, like... <laughs> better and like longer and have more to it but like it is a fun stupid i've probably like yeah like three hours um if if you can get it for real cheap that's the closest thing i can think of even then i wouldn't say i feel bad for liking it i would feel bad if i'd spent eight bucks on it yeah, yeah but for 50 go. cents it's a steal all right and uh that's all we have for this section when we come back we will talk about the news this week but that's okay we normally aim for a two-hour show and we've talked for 90 minutes already so i think we're gonna be fine um yeah. but one the piece of news i most want to talk about this week and it may be a little indulgent but it's my show so maybe everyone can just back off um <laughs> have you seen the official trailer for the mummy yeah i have <laughs> I, I really have okay okay yeah no no but continue continue <laughs> yeah so we we talk about movies on here quite a bit and last week we talked about trailers a lot we managed to get through every single trailer for every single game that came out for the game awards and psx which last week's episode was incredible if you haven't listened to it yet it's called let it die in all caps which was a reaction to a lot of it but um yeah, so The Mummy, the classic 1999 film, is getting a reboot led by Tom Cruise. And I'm, I'm curious, Nathaniel, what were your thoughts on this trailer? Okay. Okay, okay. here's my thing. Like, this movie, the thing that, like, like I came into this movie knowing that this is supposed to be a movie that's going to, like, kickstart 
the universe. Well, hey, yeah, hang on. I don't want to talk about the universe yet, although I definitely have some stuff to say about that. Yeah. But, uh... But, uh... But knowing that, like, what it's trying to kickstart, it's, like, really... Like, because, like, that... I feel like that's gonna be, like, the Iron Man where it's gonna set the tone and pace for, like, whatever's gonna come after. And, man, that, that trailer, though, that was really... Not what I was expecting from a revival of the Mummy, right? So what I really didn't like—they kind of went the action route with the Mummy, that weird Brendan Fraser thing. <laughs> like, and yeah. I mean... What I really didn't like about it is that. So I'm a pretty big fan of the uh, original Mummy. I I wouldn't say oh, it's yeah, like I one love of my the, favorite movies. I ever, love but... the classic Universal yeah, Century movie. It's really fun. But like, yeah. The the thing is. It was funny and it was silly. Like I, I looked at the Wikipedia page for it because I was like, this wasn't this wasn't just me like thinking it was funny, right? Like it was meant yeah. to be funny. And yeah, like so the director of the film, the reason he cast Brandon Fraser was because quote he doesn't take himself too seriously, otherwise the audience wouldn't go on that journey with him. And uh, the, <laughs> the woman who played Evelyn was like. Uh, she didn't want to do it bec- at first because she thought it was going to be a serious horror film, and then she said, it's a comic book world. Like, the whole point of the original one is it's, like, mostly silly swashbuckling adventure, and it's just fun. The, the, t- this yeah. Tom Cruise one... It's Indiana first- Jones in Egypt. Motorbike. Yeah, exactly. This Tom Cruise one, first of all, not a huge fan of Tom Cruise, um, oh, just in general, yeah. but especially in this, because it is just, it is so dour. I don't think there was a color other than gray in the entire oh, two-hour, thirty-minute trailer in Egypt. It had that Man of Steel color palette where everything just looked like this one shade of blue. Exactly in the beautiful Sahara Desert, it's all gray, and it just—it looks like they're leaning more into trying to make it a horror movie, but also like not that scary. It seems—I don't know. Like, I... yeah, it's weird because that's what bothered me—is that like they're trying to market. Okay, because, like, that's the thing. The original Mummy, like, the one from the 30s, is a horror movie, more or less. The one yeah, that yeah. we got when I grow, was growing up, the Mummy, is, like, is that's, that's Indiana Jones in Egypt, more or less. And, yeah. like, the thing with this one is, like, they wanted, it's, like, they wanted to be a horror movie. Because that's what people have been describing. That's what the PR has been saying. Yeah, it's yeah. a horror movie. But then it's, but then, like, someone else would, like, someone else in the PR team will be, like, it's also an action movie. And it's, like. Do you guys know what kind of movie you're making, or are you just, like, winging it right Again, now? Again, like, it seems... That trailer like... has that kind of, like... It's kind of like when I was watching the, uh... The, uh... Batman vs. Superman trailer. Yeah. I'm like, y'all don't know what you're doing, do you? Y'all, you don't know what direction you want to go in. You just do whatever, huh? <laughs> like, at this point. Yeah, again, it looks super messy, but, like... It's just... It's so serious, and that's not... That's not yeah. what I want to see at all. It's I feel like this has been kind of a trend in a lot of Hollywood movies lately. You certainly oh, mentioned yeah, Batman versus Superman. Like, I feel like a lot more movies are being kind of ashamed to be funny and silly fun. and yeah, fun yeah. exactly. Like most people go to the movies because like we want to have a good time. Yeah, you know. I think of things like like the Lego movie, right? Like, people liked the Lego movie because it was really, really funny. Like, it had a really yeah. good deep story underneath, but also it was funny and whimsical. And then, like, this just... It doesn't look fun. It looks serious and dour, and it's about a dang mummy. Like, Yeah, I think... Yeah, my problem is, the, like, there's... You can, like... I'm, I'm fine with... Ma- like quote unquote mature things 
And when I mean by mature, I mean like actually well written things, like not dark and edgy. For sure. And that's for like sure. the that's the problem is like that this movie is dark and edgy. It's not it doesn't look mature on any no, level. No, and that's exactly. my problem. You you've you've hit the nail right on the head. It doesn't look like it's like saying something important about the human condition. It just seems like it's being not fun. Serious like like Yeah. Jeez, exactly. like a gritty reboot of the mummy sounds like a joke you'd make almost, you know? Like, the yeah. original film wasn't quite a comedy out and out, but it was very much uh, just, like, high adventure. Like, yeah, it's just, it's not it's not going to be good because you're not going to, like, convince anyone that your action movie about a mummy, like, has anything deep and meaningful to say. Like, you're not going to win an Oscar. And if it's yeah. just going to be an action blockbuster, like, if you just want to get people to come see it, why would I do that when it's not fun? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's there's a balance you have to strike with that. And that's like the thing, like that's again, it's it's really dark and gritty, but like there's like no like I don't know, it like I have the weird feeling that like I I don't know. I feel like the fact that Tom Cruise is in it just, just says a lot about what kind of movie it is. And I'm exactly, not saying, like I'm not trying exactly. to, I'm not trying to diss on Tom Cruise, but he like he literally plays one type of character and one, yeah. there's only one type of movie he does nowadays, so. Yeah. And it, it and it looks really really generic. It's just, but yeah. but here is perhaps the craziest thing about it, and you alluded to it, and I did not realize this. I thought they were just rebooting the Mummy, um, but no, this film is the first in Universal's cinematic universe of monster movies, which will include yeah, <laughs> Dracula, The Wolfman, Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, The Bride of Frankenstein and Van Helsing with an Avengers-inspired crossover planning to bring all of them together. What? I hear, uh, rumors about Swamp Thing. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a thing, but Swamp Thing, I'm down for. That'd be great. <laughs> what are you doing? Why? Dude, Why? Marvel did it. Marvel did it. <laughs> yeah, because it made sense. What kind of Avengers crossover are they going to do? Is this going to be like Scooby-Doo Ghoul School, where it was like the Ooh, kids of all of them? I remember that. <laughs> like, okay, actually, that would be kind of great. It probably won't be that, because yeah, that movie that didn't take itself seriously. <laughs> like, oh, God, what are studios doing? This is like... When the Ghostbusters movie came out earlier this year, and don't don't get it twisted, I've talked about it before. I love the 2016 Ghostbusters. I'd argue there's a lot of ways in which it might be better than the original. But they thought it was going to be a cinematic universe. They were going to make a Ghostbusters cinematic universe, and like, oh, I didn't know that. Damn. Yeah, that's why they put so much money into it. That's why they set up a new production studio called Ghost Core. And then, surprise, surprise, it didn't make Marvel movie. Because it was basically an improv comedy like the first Ghostbusters. Jeez. And improv, like Paul Fagg, Melissa McCarthy improv comedies don't pull Star Wars money or Marvel money. They pull improv comedy money. Like, there is no way that this is going to work. Yeah, I... Man, yeah, this is I don't crazy know. to me. I, it sounds like I'm angry. Well, I'm not angry. I'm like, what? Why? No, it's like okay, like it, it, like we were talking earlier, and everything comes full circle now. But like that, like how Fallout Four is kind of like 
this representation of like creative bankruptcy in the industry because like it's literally not that much different from Fallout Three. Yeah, and like it like the fact that they're gonna take ten years to make another Elder Scrolls game or like I'm saying ten years, but that's what I feel like ten years to make another Elder Scrolls game because they don't like basically there's not enough innovation to warrant it, and they don't in will match your vision like. It's it's more or less like I feel like it's worse in movies, and this is from a guy who did film studies, who wanted to be a director, still mm-hmm. wants to be a director, and all this other stuff. It's like, like they see the Marvel money because Marvel, Disney, Marvel, Disney in general is the biggest powerhouse in the entertainment. Oh yeah, industry. there's no question. Americans and watch like, on average four movies a year, and one of those movies is gonna be Star Wars, and one of those movies is gonna be Marvel, and the other two are probably going to be the new Disney Princess movie and the new Pixar movie. Yeah, and like literally, like the thing is, like Disney has like that's the thing with the Disney move, like the things that are making the most money is Star Wars and the superhero movies, and those have expanded like universes, and mm-hmm. people just see like. They're not seeing why those things work. They're just seeing that it works. And then yeah. they try to do it. Because, like, even DC, Batman v... Like, the fact that Batman v Superman is a thing, like, the fact that it is the sequel to the Man of Steel movie and it exists in general, and the fact that Batman's in it, and the fact that Justice League is now a one-part movie instead of a two-part movie, really shows that, like, people want to do this expanded universe thing, but they have no idea how to actually do it. Because Marvel, like... People are doing it now. Marvel had like a decade to plan it out. Like they did yeah. this like in a decade. You know, it they, you can't do what they did in a decade in like two years. You know. Yeah, that's the thing. Like they're doing uh, the DC universe is doing Justice League after two movies. But the other thing about it is, uh, I heard I think it was Yahtzee Croshaw, who's a fellow you know uh, games journalist type person, talking about this. Like the all these studios are trying to fight a battle that Marvel already won. Like. So let's yeah. say that Universal can get... Let, first of all, let's assume this Mummy reboot does well enough to, uh, you know, make a cinematic universe viable, which I think is a pretty big stretch. Yeah, but even, yeah, yeah. And then, furthermore, let's say they make all of these movies, and let's very generously say that they actually manage to get out one a year. Now, considering that the Mummy reboot got announced three years ago, this is probably not going to happen, but most generously. All right? So, uh, Mummy, 2017. Dracula, 2018. Wolfman, 2019. Frankenstein, 2020. Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, Van Helsing, and then the Avengers-style crossover is coming out in 2023. By which point, there will be, like... I think four Avengers movies. I think according to Marvel's current timetable, there will certainly be at least three. Like There's who's going to be like five Spider-Man movies by that point too. <laughs> Jesus. Who's going to be like, oh, wow, they're doing a cinematic universe. What a new and original concept. No, they're going to be like, hey, remember when Avengers came out 11 years ago? Yeah, see, that's the, yeah, and like that's a like that's a really smart point that like oh like they're they're trying to fight a battle that they already that Marvel has already won. Yeah, it, that's the thing is like Marvel has brand recognition, and like they have like this like just alone with the cinematic universe, they have like that's like damn well near like it's not two decades, but it's like close to two decades of expanded universe. We've had these characters, we love these characters. Mm-hmm. Not even if you don't know comics, you love these characters, and now. Like, they want to get that same kind of traction and attention and, like, endearment from the mummy. And, and Frankenstein! 
Hey, you guys I, remember oh, that? Oh, Frankenstein apparently. <laughs> <laughs> remember that great moment in the Yeah, Bride of Frankenstein. They already think the Frankenstein movie is going to do so well that people are going to want like oh more in that universe. <laughs> oh my god, it's like it's like when they announced that there's going to be a Harley Quinn spin-off <laughs> like right before Suicide Squad even launched. <laughs> You might talk oh. about the uh, shawarma scene or the billionaire philanthropist line from Avengers, but to me, nothing matched the banter of when Frankenstein turned to the mummy and went, <laughs> because they're fucking monsters! And, like, she, the, the thing that bothers me... What is, like, are they going to team up to do? Oh my God. See, that's the thing that bothers me, is, like, what is the deal with... Like, why do they have to say Avengers-style cross-up? If they said, like... Like, if you had a movie with all of those, I thought it would be, like... It's. I thought it would be more like Godzilla destroy all monsters, where it's like Van Helsing has to fight all of these motherfuckers in a castle or something, right? Like, that some, would be great. <laughs> that would be great, but like they said, Avengers style crossover. So wait, is Van Helsing like Nick Cage and he's like teaming up with Dracula <laughs> and stuff? Like, what is it going? And oh, because they said because like if they're doing trying to do like Avengers, what like what can they actually do? Like, what's the bigger threat than like? <laughs> Like these monsters. Oh, it's aliens. Okay, <laughs> they have to fight one pitchfork wielding angry mob. Well, the line from Pacific Rim: "To fight monsters, we had we to build our own monsters." Right? It's there. gonna be like some Suicide Squad shit, where it's like there's a worse villain. But like, here's the thing: <laughs> to be frank, all of these movies we're coming up with, I would watch. But yeah. I don't... It's Pacific not going to be like that, ever, again, so. assuming it even happens, which is very, very cocky of Universal Studios. Uh-huh, um, very. But assuming that this even happens, like, the fact that they are making it so serious, I think that maybe this could work. Maybe, if they leaned into how ridiculous this is, because this is a ridiculous premise. An Avengers-style crossover with Halloween monsters, that is nonsense but if they leaned into it they did something like what we're talking about like all the monsters have to team up to fight a bigger monster or aliens or van helsing has to fight all of them like if it was gonna be funny and silly and just fun maybe i could see it working it's certainly something i would see but as we've discussed i like garbage um, See, but that's the thing. They're also, trying to like... make it be dramatic and serious, and that yeah. is completely untenable. Yeah, no like, one. Look, I don't know. It's weird because like Marvel, even like even for like comparing, because like it's all started with Marvel because everyone mm-hmm. wants to bank on like wants to follow what Marvel does so well. And the thing with that though is like all of the Marvel films are so palatable and marketable, like. Like yeah. uh, you're, 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 you can make a kid watch that and they'll enjoy it, and you can have an adult watch it and it'll, they'll enjoy it. Like no kid is gonna enjoy the Mummy. Like yeah. it doesn't have that appeal to like the wide like audience that Marvel has. Like it's the Mummy. Mm-hmm. Even just just speaking demogra- like with demographics and like age groups, like just like that alone, ignoring the fact that Marvel has had comics for like it's like eight decades beforehand or something. You know what I mean? Like. Right? And and I think the same thing is true of their Star Wars universe. Now, first of all, you want to know why they can get away with the Star Wars cinematic universe? Because it's Star Wars. Because I personally yeah. will go to see and have gone to see Star Wars movies that suck just because they're Star Wars. Oh, and I yeah. care that much about Star Wars. Like, I'm sorry. The Mummy was a good movie and a lot of people liked it, but it don't have the pulling power of Star Wars. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing. Star Wars is a cultural icon. Like, I mean, like, 
Marvel and these superheroes are cultural icons in their own right. Like the Mummy, and like even just like the the Universal like move like monster movies of like the 30s. Those are film icons at best. Yeah. They're not like pop culture icons like these things. You know, like I don't know how many people my age like truly know about like the Invisible Man or Bride of Frankenstein. Like obviously you and I yeah. like we're pop culture critics. We're film and game critics. Like obviously we know about these things, but like. Yeah, I don't know how many people are gonna be like, "Oh hell yeah, Invisible Man!" Yeah, yeah, Bride exactly. of Frankenstein. You know she got that stripe in her hair. Fuck, they'd have better. I hope luck they go re- with that design, though. That'd be great. <laughs> they'd have better luck be rebooting traditional. Young Frankenstein. Like, let's be real, for oh like God. just for recognizability's sake. Don't do that. Don't do that, Universal. Don't reboot Young Frankenstein. Gene Wilder's dead, and it'll suck. <laughs> don't do it. But, like, in terms of things people are going to recognize. And, again, but also I think that it's because Disney has figured out people want to see movies that are fun. Because I can't help but compare this. This is kind of a nice segue uh, to the other uh, high-profile trailer that came out this week, which was Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, my God. I have so much to say, but go. And the two could not be more different hardly in terms of like tone and color palette and like spider-man homecoming whatever else it's going to be and yeah we'll definitely talk about that in a moment like at least they're selling it on like this is fun and silly yeah and star wars the same way now rogue one admittedly has uh the like it has kind of looked like it's going to be more dramatic in some ways but there's still humor there and star wars at its best yeah. is basically like fantasy. Like, you know, can they're, we all be real movies. for a, can we all be they're, real they're... for a second? I saw it seven <laughs> times in theaters, but The Force Awakens, if we're being objective, is not a good film. It is a blatant ripoff of the original trilogy. But here's the thing. I don't care. And nobody cares. Well, okay, some people care. But, like, for the most part, (laughs) nobody cares. Certainly, like, movie-going audiences as a whole didn't care. And you know why? Because it was fun. Because we sat in that theater, and we got to do space... We got to see spaceships fly around. And, like, oh, there's Han Solo. And, like, now we have a fight on a big... Yeah, it's basically Death Star 2.0. But, like, it's fun, and it's adventurous. And I think that really helps sell what otherwise might not be, like that successful or that good of an idea because it's enjoyable i think that's part of what's hurt the dc universe so much is because they are so dour and so serious like who wants to you know who wants to sit through three hours of batman and superman being angsty (laughs) superman fun fact superman had less lines than spider-man did in civil war oh my god really yeah, there's act like Superman had less talking in his own movie than Spider-Man did in Civil Holy War. Holy crap. But, but, like, Batman versus Superman, like... Oh, that movie's bad. <laughs> yeah, but also, like... I don't even like, want to sugarcoat it. That movie's not good. No, it's not. It's, not, it's good. not. But worse than that is it's not enjoyable. Oh, hell yeah. It's, Again, yeah. like, Force Awakens, arguably a bad film but it's a fun time. There's certainly yeah. plenty of the Marvel movies I feel that way about and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way about. Yeah, like yeah, like 50% of those 50% of the Marvel films are that. They're only they're, they're, disposable. they're, they're not good. They're forgettable. I've yeah. watched the Thor movies once like and forgot about oh, them and God. I think I enjoyed them. I certainly didn't retain them. But you know yeah. what? 
hey, laid down some money for them. Disney got some money. <laughs> yeah, they did. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, what were your thoughts on that trailer? I think we've beaten the mummy to death. If only. If only. If only. Spider-Man Homecoming. All right. I want to just make a... I just want to say something. A small... I just want to make a small thing first. Uh, mm-hmm. I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man is probably one of the most important fictional characters in my life. I was... Just to just to make a long story short, I am a short, skinny kid, and yes, I got bullied in high school and middle school. So mm-hmm. Spider Man was a very relatable person to me. Right. And I love Spider Man. I loved, like, I love the comic books. I love the original, Tobey Maguire Spider Man. Both and of them. That trilogy. Even I, I even like Spider Man Three, which is an <sighs> awful movie, but you know what? I like it for hey, what it is. Hey, stand in your truth. And. The Amazing Spider-Man, I like the first one. <laughs> it's not good, again, but it's okay. But, um... So that aside, and my love mm-hmm. of Spider-Man... So that's where you're that everyone from. knows. Yeah. yeah, that's where I'm coming from, pretty much. Homecoming was awesome, and not just objectively as a trailer for what is going to be, like, a friend... Like, this, this, this kid's gonna give, like... This kid's life is pretty much done. His whole yeah. life is Spider-Man now. Yeah, hasn't he but, signed up to, like, six movies or something? Like yes, that? he has. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three major Spider-Man. films and then three appearances. So that includes, like, you know, the Avengers movies and stuff. But, yeah. uh... He... Like, that movie is not just an objectively good trailer. It's 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 a good trailer, but it's also just, like... It shows that... It's it's a, it's nice because it's kind of showing that the, they know what to do with Spider-Man again. Because, like, mm-hmm. I feel like since The Amazing Spider-Man... And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Sony isn't in full control anymore. Like... Right. They they know what to do with Spider Man and they know what like they what they need from Spider Man and how he fits into the universe and like mm-hmm. they're making him appropriately fit, not like forcing him or forcing these the, a kind of Spider Man that only that fits the universe. They're like it it feels appropriate and natural, not like the Amazing Spider Man where like they kind of were trying to create their own mythos and universe with the Spider Man universe, but it felt like in order to create a universe, they like changed Spider Man to a point where it's not even Peter or Spider Man. And this trailer is great. Like, this trailer, like, shows off all the things that I want, like, that I think are appropriate in this universe. Like, the fact that he is Spider-Man, he's this young kid, and he has problems, and he's a teenager. And, like, they're really apparent about, like, the teenage part. Like, they're really selling that, like, hey, this is this is more or less a high school romance film. And yeah. I like that angle they're going with. He's just, it's a romance, it's a like, high school romance. Oh, but he also knows Tony Stark, and he has superpowers. Like, that's yeah. cool. Like, I love that a lot. And, nope. yeah. Yeah, um... So I, I've talked about Spider-Man on the show before, and before it's mostly been, I've been very wary of it, mainly because um, I don't have that connection to Spider-Man as much. Um, I certainly, I, I've never read any of the comics. I'm not really read any comics. I'm not a big comics person in general. Um, and I I really liked the uh, Tobey Maguire movies, again, the first two, um, and felt like the third one was not so good, and the Amazing Spider-Mans, you know, I wouldn't even give those the time of day. But, like, so I, I was a little wary about yet another Spider-Man movie. But I have to say, the trailer has definitely got me much more interested than I was. I'm still a little cautiously interested. Um, in part because I felt like the one joke, right? They did the same thing with the uh, Amazing Spider-Man trailers where he had the joke about, like, it's my one weakness, small knives. Like, the one joke they have to let you know this is Spider-Man and he does banter is basically the joke from the beginning of The Dark Knight. 
where it's all of the where he's stopping a bunch of bank robbers who are dressed as the Avengers, and he doesn't say I'm not wearing hockey pads, but like, um, but I did really like it. And what I liked about it is, first of all, it's continuing from Civil War. It's not going to be an origin story. He's just Spider-Man. Thank oh, yeah. the good Lord. You can only see. I mean, we all know Uncle Ben dies. We don't need to see it like for the eight hundred time. I mean, exactly. That was yet another. I mean, we keep talking about Batman v Superman, but it's a good comparison. Like it's showing us Batman's parents die again. Everyone knows. People who've lived under rocks know Batman and Spider-Man's origin stories. So the fact that they're not doing an origin is a really good sign. But also, I'm really heartened by the fact that they have Tony Stark. First of all, because Iron Man is probably my favorite Avenger. But more than that, because the angle in the trailer is very much like Tony Stark is almost his deadbeat dad. Not like there's any actual familial relationship, but like in terms of the story, like he's like Tony Stark is the mentor, but he's a really yeah. shitty mentor. Cause he's still Tony Stark. Um, yeah. And that is an angle we have not seen in any of the Spider-Man movies before. Again, I don't know the comics, so, like, it's possible this is totally a thing. But in the movies, we haven't really seen that before. We haven't even really seen Spider-Man with a mentor before. The, uh, at least I think, like, the um, the Sam Raimi movies, the very much, you know, it was like Spider-Man's trying to find his own way. Um, yeah. And uh, so... The Amazing Spider-Man didn't do... He had no mentor in that either. Like, it was... Like, he developed a relationship with the villain briefly, but it's not even that well-developed because the movie has poor pacing, so... Exactly, because yeah. they, they released it just to keep the rights. Um, yep. I love, yeah, and, so... for the record, I love Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. I think he was... I think he's good. I think he's great. I just think they made a poorly written Peter. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um... So, more than the fact that I am interested in that, you know, how that chemistry between those two characters plays out, which I am interested in, more than that, it says to me that they are willing to do something new with Spider-Man, which is the only way this movie is going to work. Because it is the sixth Spider-Man movie of, like, main blockbuster films, not even counting animated shows, of which there have been a hundred thousand million, not counting comics. You have to do something different. Yeah. And I think if they can... If they can deliver on the promises of this trailer that this is something that is, you know, familiar, it's still Spider-Man, he's still bantering, he's, like you say, uh, still a high schooler, um, but if they can deliver on this is something different and interesting, then it will work. And if they yeah. play it too safe and are like, it's just the Spider-Man movie you've seen before, it's going to be terrible. It'll still make a gazillion dollars, don't get me wrong. Don't yeah. get it twisted. It's still think... going to make, you know... Yeah, go ahead, please. Money. Oh no, okay, but uh, oh, sorry, but uh, essentially, like, okay, one thing I do like going about this, and I think it's because we saw a Civil War and we had Spider-Man in there. Like, I, and this is the thing, they never got it that well in any of the movies, and I watched all the Spider-Man movies, and mm -hmm. so let me put it this way: Tobey Maguire Spider-Man is the per he, Tobey Maguire is the perfect Peter. He is the perfect Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. He is not a good Spider-Man. He lacks the charm and the jokiness of that Spider-Man. And, like, not that he didn't make jokes. He did. It's just that he wasn't Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Like, whereas Andrew Garfield's the complete reverse. He was a perfect Spider-Man. He had that charm. When he had the mask on and the suit on, he had that charm. He had that finesse. He was cracking jokes. And he yeah. Had... But he was a poorly written Peter because that Peter was just angsty 
and had no problems and like a lot of the issues that he did face were all like self-inflicted which is spider-man in a sense but like it's not like him right. just being angsty for the sake you got of being you gotta balance it yeah and like the thing i like about this spider-man is that like they're showing that duality because like in civil war they did that really well where, where yes. during when he was spider-man when he got the new suit he was cracking jokes he was talking to all these people they even made the joke like oh you know people normally don't talk like this this much in a fight and like <laughs> you know and in the trail and in the trailer they're showing him in high school and he's like i like this i like this popular girl but i'm a nerd with my nerd yeah. friend mm-hmm. and it's like i like that it's like it's like they're fine they finally get like that spider-man and peter while the same person there's a duality between them there is this life where peter is peter and he doesn't have powers and he's like struggling through high school and he's getting zits and he's trying to get dates with girls and then there's the part of him where he's where he has finesse and he's charming and he that's Mm -hmm. the spider-man part and like i like that they're like like this trailer's fine like the trailer and like his civil war appearance just like show that like i think i think they're actually trying to do that justice finally i think that's a very very good point yeah the duality of spider and man um Uh, and to be honest yeah, and to be honest, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. I had a maybe a couple other small stories, but I, I again, we it's been a nice long episode. We've given you plenty of content. I think we had a really good talk. I want to thank you, Nathaniel, for being on the show. I hope you'll be on the show again because uh, this was very enjoyable. Once again, I want to direct you all towards www.heyporplayer.com and to Hey Poor Player TV, where you can see Nathaniel and I doing all kinds of shows together. And uh, until next time, I've been I Coleman. I'm Nathan. And uh, thank you very much for listening, and have a wonderful Wednesday night. Bye. Bye.